This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is an ABC podcast. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Oh, hello, my lovely ones. Welcome to The Outer Sanctum for another week. I am Emma Race and I am thrilled to be back in the studio with my football talk and lady loves. I'm going to pass the megaphone to them and let them introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Tess Armstrong. And hi, I'm Kate Sear. And I'm Rana Hussain. Well, football is back, my ladies. It's pretty mm. exciting. Rana, do you have any thoughts on that? I do, actually. I've got a few thoughts. How does a South Australian son of the polo and a tall man dropped in the middle of a forgotten wasteland with no parking or good coffee called Docklands become a CEO with ruined plans? The $50 million W starter found it a lot harder once the W started and got a lot smarter once Adam Goods departed. By 17, he had Hosh in charge because she was smarter. And every day while players were playing games and making hay, our man watched the score met Thor and wanted more. He wanted a game the whole world could be a part of. The brother was ready to go to India or China. Then coronavirus came and social distancing reigned. Our man saw the league drip dripping down the drain called the banks for a lump sum an amount that's just insane spoke to the cameras and said the game would remain well the word got around june 11 was the day man no stuff or crowds our man was stressing about this new plan but if you don't forget that the people are the game man and the league won't forget your name what's your name man ceo mclaughlin <laughs> My name is CEO McLaughlin and there's a million things I haven't done. But just you wait for 2021. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Wow. Oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness. I have to breathe after that. Good morning, Docklands. Big morning, shout out CEO to the McLaughlin. people down there. Looking for a parking spot, try to get a decent coffee. <laughs> just whip that up on your way into work, yeah, did you? Yeah, just, just listened in my car and thought... It was spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It doesn't no more get real much... talk than parking at the Docklands. That no. is some real talk right there. <laughs> I felt the 
wind whipping Barbie <laughs> as he described what Docklands is like. He's going to be thrilled with that. Well, the scene's set, really, isn't it? The I mean, scene oh. is set and footy is back and it feels strange. I've got to be really honest. This is a new world order. We've been through quite a time, <laughs> haven't we, of late. And to think that football is back and not as we know it. I've been really interrogating what it is about footy that I'm looking forward to having come back. And if we think about the moments that matter to us in football, will we get them? with the way that football's going to look. If we were panning for gold and the sand in your little metal tray was footy as a whole and the agitation was COVID and quarantine, what are the nuggets that would stay <laughs> in your little pan at Sovereign Hill, You're Rana? you really sincere and I was laughing, sorry. I know, <laughs> but I'm trying to work it out. I, I feel, I, I think that I actually just miss life in the outer and we're not going to get it back. So mm. I'm feeling a bit bereft about that. I think for me, the thing that I will miss the most is that... M- well, I have missed the most and I'm looking forward to having back is that moment just before the bounce. You know, everybody's ready. It's like in the theatre, the conductor tapping the music stand just before, thing, you know, the collective breath in. But I'm wondering now, because that moment for me is like just that moment of hope that anything is possible. And I miss that feeling. Is that feeling going to be there so intensely? Because the world's such a just completely different place. So oh, I hope so. There's a lot of romance in that moment just before the bounce. Tess, how does it make you feel? I feel different to every- Everybody else. A lot of people talked about when footy went away, how like the world was so stressful that it was good to, that footy wasn't on. But for me, football has always been the joy in my life that takes my mind off all of the other things in my life. And I have missed it greatly. And I felt like I've been really sad without having football in my life. And so I can't wait to get it back. I can't wait to watch my players. And also the banter. There's a whole lot of relationships in my life that are purely about football. People that work on different levels text me when the Tigers are on. And I've missed their smart aleck texts when Jack Riot doesn't kick the goal. You know, I get a text straight away from three or four different people. And I miss that. I miss that banter. <laughs> and I can't wait to give it back to people. Bring that on. Kate, see do you miss footy more than just as a uh, bookend to the week? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel similar to Rana. Like for me, the thing about footy that I love the most is that sense that it is an end of the week release and I've missed that. And I also don't know if it will feel the same. You know, I don't know what it will be like on Thursday night when Richmond and Collingwood line up for that opening bounce and there's no crowd and there's sort of a um, fake crowd noise to try and generate that atmosphere. Um, But for me, I'm just looking forward to the incentive that footy being back brings to me to get my life back into order. You know, that (laughs) I can (laughs) wash, you know, make sure I have the right socks on and have my scarf tied the right way and all the things that I that footy does the kind of discipline that it imposes on my life I guess football is like my, house is just a, my house is a mess I haven't washed, washed my undies for, for months and I haven't washed my clothes but now I've got all my outfits all ready to go and all of those superstitions kick back in condiments at the ready I can't wait you said superstitions Kate you know that one of the big moments with footy being back is that Omen Watch will be back. <laughs> Commentary Watch will be back. I know. That's exciting. Is that huge for you? That's exciting. I feel like I've got very little to offer the world except for these things. And, <laughs> and really, actually, they're not much not, not much chop anyway. But um, no, regular listeners to the show may recall that in recent years we have had a recurring segment called Omen Watch in which we read the tea leaves and analyse uh, various match day uh, phenomena so as to get to the bottom of who will win each week and then ultimately who will win the flag. And we thought, you know, this, the world's been 
a bit crap lately, hasn't it? And it was, it was, it's Just important. <laughs> we thought it was important to bring back some stupid during this time, but with a twist, because if there are omens to identify each week, there'll be omens that people are detecting within the context of isolation. You know, you're not going to be on the tram to the footy or having a ticketing issue with your seat. Those kinds of omens are, are gone. So people are going to have to get creative, but we are going to bring back the segment. And the segment is going to be, uh, as I said, with a twist. So let's uh, introduce it. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to humanity. It is a dimension as vast as the MCG and as timeless as a Sean Burgoyne goal celebration. (laughs) It's the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the efforts, skills and tactics of clubs, the condiment choices and scarf arrangements of fans and the number two toilet. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Quarantoman Zone. <laughs> so I thought I'd kick off the, the Quarantoman Zone. The obvious place to start is to, to look back at the last major global pandemic, which occurred in 1918, the so-called Spanish flu. Great news. If we start there, great news for Swans fans because South Melbourne won the flag in 1918. Oof. Out of nowhere this year. <laughs> I mean, really. And Essendon won the wooden spoons and not so good if you're a bomber. Otherwise, were very few parallels between the 1918 season and the 2020 season. They didn't have a COVID act? <laughs> <laughs> what, how did the Giants do? <laughs> Not so good. Not so good. So there were no crowd restrictions at all during the 1918 pandemic, which is extraordinary. Other competitions also continued and there were big crowds at games. There was a belief, uh, as I understand it, public health experts didn't think that there was a need to contain uh, for people to stay at home and so on as we as we do now. There's a great article about all of that, about the 1918 pandemic season by Ben Collins uh, on the AFL website, which we'll share on our socials. There were eight league figures who died at least during the 1918 season. Roy Kazali got the flu and survived. Oh. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. Up there, Kazali. Up there was saved Up by there, a pie. <laughs> that turns out that was the remedy for yeah. Spanish flu, was it? 4 and 20. <laughs> so, so things were different in the 1918 season and therefore I've set it to one side. I don't think it's where we should look. <laughs> A better comparator, uh, perhaps, are the seasons during World War One and World War Two, which wa- were disrupted in, in a similar way. And the 1915 season, I think, is where the omens lie. It's especially interesting because there was a vote, first of all, on whether the season should proceed, as we had this year when the players mm. were asked to vote in round one. Just as a side note for a second, I have to say that I, I read that St Kilda changed their colours for the 1915 season because red, black and white were the colours of the German Empire. And so they instead wore red, yellow and black, which were the colours of Australia's ally, Belgium, and St Kilda players were off serving in Belgium. So that is something I must say I did, had never Total heard. News. They have well, They have worn a special yellow jumper, St Kilda, a, a couple of times in the last number of years. So that makes sense. I think it must be. And I, I must say I didn't know it. But it doesn't fit in the colour wheel for me. 
in red and black. I have to, um, so I'm glad that we know the historical yeah, you know, moments. Of it. Yeah. Now, it's unlikely, I think, that any teams will have to change their colours this year to avoid an association with the coronavirus because I looked into it and we don't actually know what the, the true colour of the virus is. But if anyone has to change their colours, I just want to say let's hope it's Collingwood. Yeah, well, however, <laughs> there is a discussion about the jumpers going yeah, on as there, we speak. And there is a discussion about whether the coronavirus has a colour. The virus emoji is green, so and the, that's, that's true. Frio and Paul, well, Frio, I'll, I'll bring back teal. They're green. teal. You can't say green. But also, you know how on the ABC, on 7.30, their coronavirus backdrop is red. Yes. And so that takes out a number of teams. That takes out your Bombers. That takes out your Gold Coast. Yeah. That takes out St Kilda, Soz. Swans. Takes Western out Bulldogs. The yeah. Do- yeah, the Dogs, the Swans. Yeah. Who else? We really should have got Norman Swan Adelaide. in here to talk about which jumper is the coronavirus. We'll text him later. Corona cast. Yeah, Corona jumper cast. He's spin-off. A classic spin-off series. Um, but Maybe he'll be doing special comments in the comments. <laughs> Honestly, I, I would so. love that. <laughs> I hope so. And he's got such a lovely voice to oh, a lovely oh, tone. Yeah. Imagine how stressed out tone. Norman Swan would get every time Patrick Cripps spits on his hand and rubs it all over the ball. Norman would... Imagine <laughs> Bruce McAvaney throwing down to the boundary to Norman Swan. <laughs> and Norman Swan should have like access to a button, like a siren that he can press when Patrick yes. Cripps spits on his hands. It goes... <laughs> it might just be like, and he's got it now. And he's got it. <laughs> yeah. And they've got it. I do think Norman Swan will get some Brownlow votes. <laughs> So two quarantomans fall out of season 1915 for me. The first thing to say is that if it's like 1915, the premier, believe it or not, is Carlton. (laughs) And secondly, secondly, this is what happened after the 1915 season. A number of other clubs then withdrew partly for financial reasons and partly as a sign of patriotism. Patriotism? Yeah. Because of the war. So we might get a few clubs just pulling out next year. Which is a little bit like how Jeff Kennett has said that the Hawthorne board won't go to the games. (laughs) So you're right. I think 1915 is where we need to look. Congratulations, Carlton. You got it wrapped. (laughs) Wrap it up. Take it home. But what I want to say to our listeners is if if you have Quarantomans that you want to send in, please share them with us in the Quarantonum Zone. If you can say (laughs) Quarantonum. You the can get zone. For instance, if in, while in ISO you learnt how to bake a berry cake and the, the berry cake went really well, that suggests that Brisbane will win the game because <laughs> they have two players named Berry. But if your cake was a disaster, if it fell over, the Lions will lose and so forth. I mean, it's pretty obvious. So get involved. Get, get involved. involved. That makes me think, Kate, that there's going to be, you know how we often have like, oh, commentary watch kind of bingo. Mm. There'll be quarantine commentary watch bingo. Oh. Oh. where there'll be a whole, I mean, committee won't be calling a game, which is obviously disappointing for everyone, yeah. but you could imagine that how many times will they mention, oh, he's social distancing himself oh, yeah. in the, yeah, yeah, and there'll be a lot of talk about Tiger King when the Richmond oh, yeah. play, oh, yeah. they'll be calling um, Dusty? Dusty Tiger King yeah. for sure. Don't argue, we'll be at 1.5 metre distance. Yeah. <laughs> we should make a um, we should make a commentary watch, quarantine commentary watch bingo board. Yes. And everyone can play along at home, so yeah. send us if you You've got any others, Tess? Have you got any? I don't think mine should make the board. I'm not going to lie. I, I think they're just for our private use. Remember back at the start when we were all going to the shops and we were getting toilet paper, we were oh, doing gee. Sam Powell prepping. <laughs> now, also, what about 
Gee, those were the days, by the way. That feels like <laughs> ten years ago. ago. So long ago. Ten years ago. Simpler times. We Kale, hook us up with your Netflix recommendations. <laughs> oh, what oh, about good. go to the bathroom and wash your Pierce Hanleys? <laughs> what about Luke? Luke, don't stand so close to me. Don't stand so close to me. Or we should rename that um, the Grand Final Medal. You know, when you've BOG on Grand Final, and we'll call it the New Norm Smith Medal. Oh, that's, oh, that's your best work there. Me. Or James Heard Immunity, you can have that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Cometti could never have come up with anything as good as that test. That's Thanks, all the fame I feel material. like people will talk about how they had a lot of Ollie wines, <laughs> red, white, even the cooking wines, and there was um, people were getting into a bit of Jake arts and crafts <laughs> and lots of Liam Bakers, sourdough mostly. <laughs> Well, I I could imagine of references to quarantine. A one-on-one contest in the forward line will be the players are, are in ISO. Or if a full forward is staying back in the goal square, they'll say he's staying at home. Oh, oh yes. Good. When a team's trying to avoid avoid a blowout, they'll the commentators will have to say that they, they need to flatten the curve. <laughs> if someone's applying a hard tag, they'll say he's got his opponent in lockdown. Oh, oh yeah. good. And all teams collectively and henceforth must be referred to as quarantines. Sam Wicks from Sydney. I just thought of this one. Sam Wicks from Sydney. Oh, the kids were getting on my wicks when I was homeschooling them. Brad Close. All I know is that. One and a half metres, thanks, Brad. All I know is that I got a lot of food, Jordan, to goey. <laughs> During the lockdown. I think lockdown. you had gooey yeah. food. <laughs> Jordan to gooey food. Uh, if you can think of any quarantine bingo names, oh, yeah. we'll put them on the board. You can message us via our socials. They've got to be better than ours. Some actual football news has happened this week. Are we ready to roll up our sleeves and melee, ladies? Yep. yep. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. There was some big news, some big AFLW news that happened this week when North Melbourne's AFLW coach Scott Gowans was sacked. It's so weird. If Scott mm. Gowans isn't safe in his AFLW role at North End, really, I feel like no one is safe. And that kind of heralds that moment that we were all holding our breath about where clubs are going to have to really tighten their belts. This is one I didn't see coming because North have been on the precipice of the ultimate success for the last two years and the only two years that they've been in the competition. Their system is the envy, I think, of all the other AFLW teams. I think he'd lost only three games in two seasons. It just seemed like a shocking move from where I was sitting because I thought I thought if he's not safe, no one else is really safe. I wondered, and I don't know this for, for certain, but I wondered if they had offered him half pay, whether he could have gone part-time or done, you know, gone 50% or something like that because everybody's I guess, taking those kind of cuts at the moment. There is going to be um, a long interview with him that Peter Holden has done, who Peter Holden's been an amazing champion of women's football for such a long time in the media space. That's coming out on Wednesday evening on the eve of round two kicking off. So I'll be really intrigued to hear that. I've always had such lovely interactions with Scott Gowans and his players I would imagine are quite devastated because they were really invested. He was so invested and he's been a really great mentor and coach within the women's footy space. Did you guys have thoughts, Rana? A lot of thoughts. I mean, just a lot of sadness. And like you said, we sort of, we were holding our breath wondering whether these are the kinds of moves that clubs would make. While the AFL has reassured everybody that women's football and Indigenous programming and other diversity programming, not that women's football is a diversity programming, but all that kind of 
stuff that isn't men's football would remain and would have the same investment, it is going to land on the clubs to make those choices and when things are tough we know that people fall back onto what's familiar what they think is fiscally responsible but my big question is well what do we do now like as people on the outer what can we do to make sure that clubs know that we care about this stuff and we want proper investment in women's football it's interesting because it's a moment of businesses having to pivot. I hate that word. That'll be on the quarantine bingo <laughs> board pivoting. You know, I've seen some of the stats with clubs that have AFLW teams, the amount of traffic that goes through their mm-hmm. website and through their merch and arguably North was going to have success in the AFLW program before, you know, premiership success before the men's team. Is this a lost opportunity, Tess? Yeah, it looks like a lost opportunity from the outside. And whether or not a whole lot of those players will want to play at North Melbourne, if he's not there, remains to be seen and will have the trade period coming up. And for Scott Gowans, I mean, it's a really hard new reality to lose your job for nothing that you've done. And that must be quite confronting for him, I think, that you've done everything possible and what you've done has been successful and you still are the first to go. Kate? Well, it's interesting that all institutions, all organisations across the world are having to make these, have these conversations and make these choices. You know, and and if you look on social media and you look at the reaction to people, people's uh, initial response tends to be, well, you know, this is an extraordinary time and all clubs are under financial pressures. All institutions around the world are under financial pressures. That uh, skips over the the decision-making process. It skips over the fact that a decision was made about who to keep and who to let go. And that's the problem. And that's what it is that I think all institutions need to look at and to really think about big structural change about how they want to reorganise their institutions into the future and whether they're going to really embrace and include and champion women's sports. I think we're feeling nervous because North was such a giant or are such a giant in this space. We saw something really interesting this week on Twitter. The AFL have put out an actual Mm. statement on this (laughs) saying that post-game general media non-broadcast. Interviews will be conducted all by phone, but every single player will be made available. We haven't seen this before, and I'm wondering if it's a response to watching MJ in The Last Dance and all the access that we saw in the in the, in the the basketball. Absolutely. I don't know if this will be too inside baseball, but I feel like it'd be important to give people an idea about what happens after a game, right, Ooh, if yes. you're a broadcaster. Because every media outlet wants to interview the main player or the best player or whatever. And a whole lot of players make themselves unavailable. They just don't want to be interviewed. And so when you go down to the rooms, you work with the media person to get a player and you jostle around. I feel like in reality this won't necessarily happen. One, because every one player can't do 11 interviews. So like every, they're still going to have to make choices about which broadcasters get which players, which they were making anyway. I hear what you're saying. I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt until we see, because what we know is that footy is going to look really different. So mm. how are they going to make the offering look really beneficial for supporters who have paid memberships and they really need people to stick around and to keep their money in their footy clubs? Mm. So I see this as an offering to people who will be investing in watching and supporting the game when they can't go to the game and that this might be an opportunity that they haven't exercised before and this is something that they can lean on the clubs and say if you can't send your supporters to the outer this is what you can do for them and I feel like they've got some leverage in that. My cynical brain is also thinking well this is about ratings and the broadcast deals right like it's just got to be about making sure the broadcast 
people feel like they're getting absolutely everything out of this product. The broadcaster, that's why I'm not sure how it's going to be very mm. different because mm. the television broadcaster already does get the main player. It's about everyone else, whether or right. not that actually is what happens. I know, like we'll see Norman Swan definitely interviewing <laughs> whoever it is that kicks the winning Norman goal. and Dusty every week. <laughs> it's a great spin-off series, well, Kate. It's really interesting, Em, that this has happened in this week of all weeks because this is a week where Chad Wingard came out publicly and said that he is not willing to do mainstream media work into the future because of concerns about how his story will be packaged and, and represented. And uh, I think it's a really important moment and an interesting conversation. It is interesting. We've got a grab from Chad Wingard spoke to Black Australia, which is a podcast that he was on, which he chose to go on, and he explained his decision. I felt like it was I had to do it. It was something that I had that was deep within that I felt like I had to stand up and, and shine a light on what was happening in our own backyard. I think it was just seeing the response, like I said, to everything that was happening in America. And yes, I was outraged as well with what was going on. I was just trying to figure out what was the difference what was the difference between what was happening there and what was happening here and I could not figure out why it was not getting the media was not putting as much pressure on the police officers here to do their job and due diligence as well and that's where I got really frustrated and really angry and that's the moment that I said nah you know I need to stand up I need to voice this because I believe and the, the, the amount of support that came in afterwards it almost felt like a breath of fresh air, like like someone needed to say it and now the conversations are happening because of it. So Chad Wingard there is talking about what has sparked his uh, activism in this space this week specifically and he has said he doesn't want to speak to mainstream media because it's not diverse. People are being misrepresented in the media space in issues that are really important to him and to all of us and his Twitter ha- account has become an unbelievably, it's a gift of a resource. He is retweeting and posting voices, thoughts, articles and video links to people that I've never read before. I think he's really stepping into his role as a leader and I take my hat off to him, Tess. Absolutely. And one thing he did note, which, you know, it's just to clarify, he said he wouldn't do media he's not contractually obliged to do. But outside that space, he gets to choose which platforms he wants to use to get his message across. And if you were him, why wouldn't you want to do that? Would you go on and channel whatever commercial television panel program with four of exactly the same people tell them your story you know exactly the questions you're going to get you know exactly the headline that they're going to spin out of it because they don't have the imagination to have that conversation or the nuance to have the conversation that he's having so good for him for trying to find a different platform to have it and I think that's for me like what came out of that podcast where he spoke was the mistrust around media and so many Indigenous athletes seem to reiterate that feeling and I'm just my question is as people in the media we shouldn't we be asking what do we do to rebuild Mm. that trust and if it's about diversifying the panels bringing in different people doing the research I mean that's the question we should should be asking we don't want to lose Chad Wingard from media spaces so what do we need to do? No it's a really important question Rana and you know some of our listeners might hear these discussions unfold and be confused about why it is that the problem emerges in in the first place and I think you have to understand something about where the problem comes from in order to talk about solutions it's certainly about the lack of diversity in media but it's also about I guess the way that some people in the media are trained and the 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 desire to get kind of sensationalist material or to construct material in a sensationalist way the point is that 
you know, part of what Chad Wingard talks about in that podcast and I would encourage people, as he has done, to actually go and listen to the entire thing, not a repackaged, simplified summary of it in in commercial media, but is that all representation is a representation of of information and work is often done, especially where things are pre-recorded to package and and, uh, construct and then then situate a a narrative. There's work done in the presentation of the material and, and often the decisions that are made by people in the media are really, really problematic. But one way you can get trust is to have someone asking the questions who has a shared or similar experience to yours. And when all of the experiences of the majority of the football media all look very similar, Mm. you don't get the opportunity to have a valid conversation with people who have that deep and dense understanding. So I would implore you to listen to Chad Wingard on Black Australia, My People, My Story. He speaks with Paulie Vandenberg and Reese Humphrey. We will put the links to it. The other thing that off the back of this that we have to talk about is the fact that The Colour of Your Jumper, which is an online TV show that came out of the AFL, hosted by the Sanctum's own stunning Shelley Ware, has been wrapped up, which is so devastating in mm. this week. And I think hearing that news, along with the Scott Gowan's news, it painted a picture in my own heart that really crushed me because it's the kind of diversity and the kind of voices that we really need and we really needed them to be supported and we needed it to grow. And we need more media like this in the space, not less media. And I found it a troubling decision. I'm actually lost for words, I have to say. I'm really gutted for Shell. I'm really Mm. gutted for that show. I think that you're feeling emotional is appropriate because that's what it means. Like, I think sometimes we we step over emotion and the way things make us feel because it's uncomfortable. But the reality is, is, is that it's heartbreaking. It brought up a few things for me. The concept of lack of diversity, especially in football media. We have seen footy shows prevail through a shutdown and they've made it work and they're continuing. And we know that Yokai has continued. It doesn't mean that that's done. Like that's not when we can't just mm. go, yep, yeah, cool. Thank you. Tick. Thank you for verbalising that. This is exactly <laughs> Just because we've got Yokai doesn't mean that we don't also need Colour of Your Jumper. They're not the same show. Exactly. And I I wonder if the lack of diversity and the decision makers are considering making their decisions around fear of audiences switching off, which makes me think two things. Is it possible for the media to lead audiences or is it always in submission to the public mood and opinion of the audience? Like I just... Doesn't the media lead audiences all the time? And when we talk about, well, we don't have diversity on our screens because our audiences will switch off. What does that say? Like, what does that mean? I don't, it actually is confusing to me because aren't we the ones framing the conversation? So we can make those choices. It also makes me think that there is an assumption around who the audience is. It is still potentially white middle-class men who are tuning into football and we know that's not the case. The world has changed and is changing and if we can't see that as storytellers then I mean our audiences are going to disappear very quickly. It's true and beautifully said. One thing that we did see um, is a few acts of allyship this week that have been notable. Now Alexis Ohan this week giving up his seat on the Reddit board which is a company he co-founded saying that he's handing it over to a person of colour so that they can have a more diverse board which I thought was a pretty big move. We saw Daniel Radcliffe come out making a statement against JK Rowling. Again huge kudos to Haretiela Mamba who played for Collingwood and also played for Melbourne who is 
perpetually disbelieved in the media space in Australian football. We have spoken about his journey and the words and the experiences that he has shared with us on many occasions. I would implore you to follow him. I would implore you to listen to his sister actually produced a podcast about their family, which is extraordinary. We'll put the link to that. It's not necessarily just about football. He constantly speaks out and shares his experience. The football media constantly tell us or tell him that he's wrong and that his experience Mm. is being misrepresented. And I find that incredibly troubling, but really brave for him in this moment to stand up with people like Chad Wingard and to add his voice back into the, a space that would be really uncomfortable for him. You know, something that I was really moved by this week was uh, the British actor John Boyega, who plays Finn in, in, the, in the recent Star Wars franchise, so people might uh, know him from that. He joined the Black Lives Matter protest in London. I won't repeat his exact words, but one of the things he said was something to the effect of, you know, I might not have a career after this, but mm. stuff it, I'm going to do it anyway. I think the first thing to say about that is that it tells you something about how just joining a protest and speaking up is something that comes at potential great risk for him. But what I was really moved by was seeing other directors like Jordan Poole and Taika Waititi coming out on social media and saying, essentially, we've got your back, mate. And, you know, they're they're filmmakers who have the power to to give him work and will do so. But what an indictment on our our community that, uh, that that conversation would even need to happen in the first place. But I'm grateful for people like Jordan and Taika and, and others who are stepping up. The thing about allyship as well, like there's so many different types of allyship, but I feel like in this moment, and this is just my opinion, the visible allyship is really important. And I think sometimes we can veer into, well, just posting something on social media is tokenistic. But we saw Brisbane Lions taking a knee, Melbourne Footy Club taking a knee, Collingwood posting, uh, North Melbourne and so on. The silence of other clubs is quite painful actually because in this moment this is a both a symbolic and an actual fight and football trades in in symbolism we do it so well and so now is the time to use that to our advantage and I feel like in terms of indigenous culture we lean so much on aboriginal culture to sell our game whether it's grants government funding memberships we use it as part of a celebration about what's great about our game you know forgetting about the actual players themselves so then if you can't stand up when it's hard in these moments, I feel like we veer into being exploitative. And that's the question I want clubs to really consider. One final note on allyship. I do want to give a shout out to golf Justin Rose, who is a British golfer who was once number one in the world and has won a gold medal. At the Olympics, he and his wife Kate identified that due to coronavirus, women's golf tours would suffer. So they've sponsored a series of golf tournaments for British women's pro golf and contributed £35,000 for the prize money. I'm like, that's how you do it. If you have (laughs) £35,000 and you would like to sponsor a competition. (laughs) But I love seeing moments like that. And I just want to be really clear and say that when you give your voice to something on social media, you might feel some criticism or that that's not enough. But I always see it and think that's the tip of the iceberg. That's one moment that you're taking. There's lots of moments that people who are in this community are taking every day. And together, let's keep working towards that. It's a really challenging time. We want to make a difference. And I think that our conversations can make a difference. So please keep having the conversation with us. One conversation that you had, Rana, is with someone from the Richmond Footy Club who will be facing a very different work situation when the siren goes tomorrow night. Yes, I spoke to Tim Livingston, who is the general manager of football performance at the Richmond Footy Club. 
first of all, how are you feeling about Thursday night? Really excited, to be honest. Can't come around quick enough. That feeling of game day is a unique feeling, probably for everyone. You get that sense of anticipation of what's what's about to happen. Um, chance to compete for our players. Um, chance to do what they love and have fun doing, but also, again, compete and put to test everything that they've been training for over the last nearly eight months now because we had, we've sort of had two pre-seasons. But I think even more than ever now that they're looking for this as, um, yeah, a chance to test how well they've, they've served the, uh, the isolation period and now the return to, uh, return to train period. So um, probably the best part of game day is, is the lead up on game day and that feeling of heightened uh, anticipation of the contest that's about to come. What was isolation like for the team and for all of you? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good question. It all happened in a big hurry a couple of days after the, um, the Carlton game in round one. But it became a situation where you had to be self-driven. If you're a player, you certainly had to be self-driven in all the training that you did. So we had to reduce our football department staff down to a skeleton crew of eight, which is not many. Um, <laughs> Part of that crew was our uh, fitness guys, uh, Peter Burge and Lukey Mean, were involved in writing programs and monitoring programs with the guys, but in over forums like Zoom meetings like this. Um, just on the announcement, we spent a day and a bit getting as much gear out of our gym and into players' homes as we could. It was amazing. You should, when you went down to the gym close to us coming back, it was, there was nothing in it. It was completely bare. Like every dumbbell, every... Um, Band every every uh, every uh, bikes everything. We moved a heap of stuff out to players' homes so that they could train remotely and keep their program up and going. And then we did a couple of sessions, um, you know, online training sessions, just short ones, just for the boys to connect mm. um, whilst they were training because you were only allowed to train in twos, um, which doesn't allow you to do much. So we probably three times a week, even short sessions like online bike sessions together if they're on bikes or um, push-up sessions or little mini circuit sessions a um, couple of times a week just to connect the guys together. But apart from that, mm. it, like everyone listening, we're all isolated and doing it from home. Because obviously there's a lot of anxiety surrounding what's happened. And again, I'll say that for everyone, not just the players, but everyone who would be listening to this podcast would, would have felt that anxiety, of whether it be around their family, whether it be around work and whether it be about having that purpose of getting up each day to do what you normally do. So we had to be mindful of that. Our, our group has prides itself on its connection to each other. So we put some things in place to ensure we were checking in on each other and our leaders took um, some in initiative with that and divided them, the players up into smaller groups that they would make sure they checked in with. But there were staff included in those groups as well. The skeleton crew that I mentioned, we would meet weekly to discuss anything coming out of the various conversations that were going on, various connections that were being had to make sure that, you know, we were happy that everyone was okay. But, you know, some of our players' isolation was a good thing because in the sense that they were allowed to get back home and with their families and spend time that as footballers they would never normally spend with their families, especially in uh, April and, and, and May. The challenges with ISO maybe came for some players who might have been quarantined when they moved back home and mm. weren't allowed to move back. Or the anxiety with, well, not so much the anxiety, the frustration with being restricted in who they could see and train with. Um, I think 
Uh, we can understand some players and some personalities uh, thrive that connection more. But on the other hand, I don't think I'm speaking out of school. You know, Liam Baker and Jackie Graham were, you know, at home working on their farms mm -hmm. and enjoying that aspect of country life while still training hard, being with their families. So we, we have a saying here that we... Um, you can take something like that that happens to you and, and say, am I buried or am I planted? And, and if you have, the, you have a planted approach, then you're more likely to make the best of whatever the situation is. And we'd spend a lot of, time, a lot of time working on just worrying about the moment, worrying about what we need to do next rather than worrying about mm. the outcome of whether we're going to play footy again or not. You guys have come back to a completely different club. Was there any preparation around what everybody was coming back to? Because it must feel a bit like a ghost town, like hardly anyone around. Yeah, it does. I'm actually sitting in an empty boardroom that looks like it hasn't been sat in. But when we finished on the Sunday, we'd had a dry run of the small group training and, and the isolation protocols and setting up four different change rooms. Well, now we've come back and we've set up six different change rooms. Um, we're training in groups of eight, but yeah, you're right, there's an eerie quiet because there's no one else around at times. And then when, once the players go, there's literally no one here. Um, yeah, having said that, the, what we did that Sunday, the players had a sense of what they were going to come back to. We've set up two gyms so that we can sort of get through the program a bit quicker try and walk pathways around the club that mean you don't cross over with the other groups. And this all seems really strange because you've just come off the track and you've done contact training for yeah. an hour and a half. It's just reminding the players it's about essential versus non-essential contact and it's all about risk mitigation. So everyone understands it and they're doing a, real, doing a really good job at um, adhering to it, but it, it does feel unnatural. But, yeah. you know, you and I, like, if, if you go for a walk, it soon became natural for you to walk on the footpath and people to avoid you by two metres coming the other way. Yeah. And that never used to be the uh, case, but now it's sort of the new normal. So that's what's happening in the club, trust me. I'm interested in what you think the impact of all this has on a playing group, if at all. Like, a, There's a part of me that feels like, well, you guys are really good at kind of going into that business as usual mode and getting on with the job, but surely some of this has an impact on the team. Yeah, it does. Look, to be honest, we've almost had to be a little bit militant in policing it early to make mm -hmm. sure we get our behaviours right. And, and we're disconnecting people in a sense, yeah. physically, which is in both the policing and the disconnection is the opposite of what we normally do and exist like. Well, well I'd say that for most, for all clubs. So some of the players you can see get frustrated by that, but they understand it. So the, the important thing is to let the players... Um, set them up to succeed, let them lead. Man, We've got some fantastic leaders um, in our club that, that within their groups will drive, drive the right behaviours and the right attitude and give each other the support they need. As I said before, it's about just accepting what you cannot control and just focusing what you, what you can. So it's, that's our training and that serves us well. What can supporters expect about this new kind of season 2.0? Is the standard going to be different? Will the footy look different? What are your thoughts mm, on how it might I'm hoping, I'm hoping the standards are at least <laughs> the same as it was as far as we're concerned and I'm hoping Collingwood's has dropped significantly. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, now, it's a good question. Uh, well, the reality is no one's ever done this before. Started the season in this sort of way and stopped for eight or nine weeks. Well, I can't remember by the time we returned to playing again and what momentum's been lost and have we done enough 
you know, in three and a half weeks, have we done enough to prepare the boys for the game? But look, all the indicators I can say at the moment, Rana, are um, quite amazed at the condition our boys came back in. It was a real credit to both Burgie and his team for how he set them up, but also for the discipline our guys showed in, in adhering to ISO training, if you like. Um, our first contact session... Um, we just thought it was terrific. The ball zipped, we were clean, um, and you wouldn't have thought we'd missed a beat. There was good signs, put it that way. But, yeah, we're, we're still going to get some good contact sessions done. And, and the game changes once you hit an opposition and a really good team like the Pies. It's, uh, footballers talk about, you know, that you can do as many pre-seasons games as you like. But when you play that first round one game, those tackles and those hits feel as hard as they've ever felt or harder than they've ever felt in training. So... I can expect some sore boys um, after Thursday night, but I'm hoping, um, as I said before, I'm hoping the standards are still where we left them in round one. Yeah, injuries surely have to be on the mind. Is that a concern internally? Well, it's always a concern, but the soft tissue might be a bit of a concern depending on how they've got through their programs. I mean, the, the hard thing to simulate when you're, when you reduce to groups of two is that vigorous change of direction and, um, and as I said, the contact. So we feel by, that, by the time we get to Thursday night, we'll have had enough contact sessions to, to prepare them and also done enough high-speed work and high-speed work with change of direction. Um, I'm starting to cobble in what Burgie does here, but we, <laughs> that will prepare them physically to play the game. Um, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that the game, once the pies come out and once we have that contest, um, the game and the, the degree of difficulty goes up a, a, a notch from whatever you can do at training. So it'll be interesting to see what comes mm-hmm. out of it. Hopefully everyone gets through okay. I'm assuming, is there any preparation around the actual kind of game in terms of no crowd? A team had a go at it already once without a crowd. Has there any been kind of messaging around that for the group? My short answer is really no. I'm not saying it wouldn't be discussed, um, but we got to do, sort of experience it before and no doubt it was weird. Like I, I remember Shane Edwards kicking that first goal and the boys on the bench got up and they were the la- and all, you could hear them yelling out. When normally we kick a goal at the MCG, you can't hear a thing because of all our supporters <laughs> cheering and it was just really strange hearing all the voices and yelling and feeling like you're you're out playing a, not even a local footy game because they have bigger crowds than what we had there was no one there it's weird what's not weird you know when you're down in the rooms pre-game at the mcg you you felt as though things were normal and it'll feel normal again because you never know what's going up until you get out there. So once you get out there, it is what it is. And when the ball's there and it's bounced, you just play the game. Those boys will just play the game. Yeah. We'll miss our fans out there. We'd love to have them there. But again, it's just one of those things. I think they just accept it is how it is and just are happy to get out and have a kick and play footy, to be honest. I think that's the extraordinary thing about sport, that once you cross that white line, something clicks in, it seems, anyway. Mm. All the tension goes to the ball, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. If we do get the W, and I'm hoping that we do, will there be arms around each other singing the song? What happens then? Well, one thing I know about what's happened over the last couple of months is um, things have changed daily and sometimes hourly. Uh, (laughs) At the moment, the answer would be, uh, I'd say there wouldn't be. That non-essential contact would be um, frowned upon, but... Um, some of those things may be allowed. I think there was some some vision of the rugby guys and a bit of contact going on, whether that's protocol or not protocol, I don't know. So 
I hope so, Rana. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really, I, I hope two things. One, we get the W and, and secondly, that the boys to get to celebrate like they normally would. Thanks for that, Rana and Tim Livingston. Thank you for giving your voice to the pod. Now, when footy comes back, are we going to still have the fifth quarter? I mean, I want the fifth quarter to remain. Have we got an opener this week, Tess? We got a lot of mail last week about Julia's um, incredible Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Things really took a turn. Um, and so I feel like we've had Hamilton today. We've had like the Twilight Quarantine, Nomen Zone or whatever. <laughs> I can't say it, um, so I'm not able to contribute. But I feel Tribunal. like footy's back. There's only one thing that seems appropriate this week. Welcome back. To Dusty and Friends. Oh, sorry. I was, um, I was doing it. Welcome. I was hoping today we could do another fifth quarter. And because this week is we're back, I keep thinking about when MJ sent out that press release and they'd written like 250 words or whatever and they said, you have a go. And he just wrote, I'm back. And I was like, oh, that's what I feel like this week is. So let's talk comebacks. Has anyone got any comeback-themed uh, fifth quarters, Kate? Yeah, well, I just recently watched uh, a, a documentary about a man who I think is trying to make a comeback of sorts in the, in the sense of trying to redeem his reputation in public eye, and that's Lance Armstrong. So ESPN do the 30 for 30 series, and they've just done a four-hour documentary on him, which um, as a huge fan of Grand Tour Cycling, Previously a massive fan of Lance Armstrong, I just ate it all up. For people who are into cycling, uh, I'll just tell you that some of the people that feature uh, names like Tyler Hamilton, George Hincapie, Christian Vandeveld, Jonathan Vorters, Floyd Landis. So if, you, if you're into cycling, that will sound really interesting and exciting to you because they all do come on and talk about their experiences of doping. Not in enough detail in my, in my view. I wanted to hear more from some of those people, particularly George Hincapie, and we just don't get enough from him, which is frustrating. But we do get a lot of Lance Armstrong. He doesn't fully account for his behaviour, but he is, I think, actually pretty open. And so I found it really compelling to watch him as a very different companion piece to The Last Dance, which I had watched, you know, a week or two before. It, it does raise really interesting questions about hyper competitiveness and a win at all costs attitude. And I would really encourage people to watch it, even if they're not fans of cycling. I have to say that, like, on social media, he has just been slammed. People say Lance Armstrong comes away as, you know, if he thought that this was going to help restore his reputation, it does does not at all and I think that's true like he's a very unlikable person in many respects that's the truth of it you know he's just beyond you should do PR for him he's got a huge ego and he's extremely arrogant and but I have to say this right I watched it with my partner who doesn't is not a cycling fan and and he asked me what I thought about Lance at the end of it and I just said I can't hate him I'm strangely compelled by him he's a deeply charismatic person there's a lot of of rich, interesting stuff in there about kind of ethics and doping and and the commercialisation of sport. And it, I just, I really, really recommend it to you. But I, as I said, I, I don't think you're going to watch it and come away liking Lance, Lance Armstrong very much. <laughs> I'm watching The Great at the moment, which is about Catherine the Great, oh. and the ca- and the main character Peter is so unlikable. And I said to Andy last night, I can't hate him. There's something likable about that horrible man. 
I don't know what yeah. it is. I won't be watching that, by the way. Lance Armstrong's taken up enough of time, enough time in my life. Oh, no, I'm strangely intrigued. I'm probably going to like you? that unlikable man. Yeah, just like <laughs> also Uncle Lance, you know, he smeared my great name. And so I feel like <laughs> compelled to watch and hate watch him. He's a pretty awful, yeah, he's a pretty awful yeah. person. You have, we've been talking about returning and comebacks and I was going to talk about Return to Oz, which I feel like you should all watch. But instead, I want to talk about this program that brings me a great deal of joy, and I know it's naff, and I don't care one little bit. <laughs> Have any of you watched Death in Paradise? No. So it's a BBC <laughs> French co-production thing set on a tropical island in the French Caribbean, and it's called Sainte Marie. It's a fictional island, and it's a murder mystery show. A British detective goes to the island, and they solve murders together. And first of all, I mean, like Carrie Bradshaw and Sex and the City could never afford the house and shoes that she could ever get on that writer's budget, there's no way that if you were, like, looking at a tourist book and it said someone is murdered every day on this island that you would be like, great, I'm going to go, but I want to go to this island. It's amazing. <laughs> now, the reason why it works for comebacks and returns is because almost every cast member has been turned over and replaced with someone else. <laughs> kind of an ongoing thing that the formula of the program stays the same. And the the joy, there are two recurring characters, but everybody else is completely different from first season. And it still comes back every single season. And I forget that I ever loved the previous bunch of characters and I am entirely attached to the new lot. Is it that kind of situation, Tess, where they say playing the role of... Bozo Jones no. this week is is it that? It's not like Bond 007 <laughs> and it's a different it's the, same, it's the same name. How has he been alive for so long? What about that wife you want to Or like have? like in no, Home and Away when Pippa came back and she was played by someone new. Remember yeah. that? Playing or the role new, of Pippa this week or is... new Becky in Roseanne. No, no, no. They're different they're different detectives. So the British detective has to go home or leaves to go back to their family or the other detective wants to go to France to find herself and so it's like, you know, a new person comes along and then it's just it's an ensemble cast and they all get along so well. It has the most jaunty theme song, which I'll play for you a little bit, <laughs> that I do this finger dance to every time it comes on. It just brings me so much joy. It has stopped filming because of COVID, and so hopefully it will come back into my life. But just I'm a big murder mystery fan, and if you love it and you haven't seen it, it makes you feel good. Do you a little bit wish that you were the Angela Lansbury Miss Marple on the oh. island solving the crime? 100%. You know I used to act, right? And I thought I'd sort of be an actress, but then I realised the only character I could play was myself and so I would just do radio. And yes, Kate? Kate put her hand <laughs> oh, up. Oh, no. Sorry, I have, I have a lot of questions I have a lot of questions. Were Can you we ever have... on Romper Room? <laughs> Did you ever play Pippa on Home and Away? <laughs> yes, I was Pippa. I was Are also you Becky. you the original Ridge from Bold and the Beautiful? <laughs> I'm one of the stormtroopers in the new, <laughs> new Star Wars. Point of, point of order, point of order. I'm going to out you here and say, Tess, mm. can we share on our social media the photo of you dressed as Poirot? Yes, and can I share something with you, which I'll also put, I'll, I'll share this little video on social media, but Jacinta Parsons, who hosts the afternoon program on um, ABC in Melbourne, is a dear friend, and I was going through a hard time. She knows how much I love Poirot. She was interviewing David Suchet, and she got him to say hello to me in the accent, in the Poirot accent, and I literally, I cried for like a whole day. I couldn't believe, oh. it was the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me, but also, I mean, that's a stretch. It was a really nice thing. <laughs> anyway, oh, my dream is to become a murder mystery writer. Agatha Christie oh. style books about Australian high society. In the meantime, watch Death and, Death and Paradise. Can we hear the music? <laughs> That's some jaunty finger music. Mm. <laughs>
couldn't sit still. They were singing, you make me feel like dancing. They were dancing like Rhonda Birchmore's legs in a can-can. My index finger hasn't had a night out like that since COVID. Put some lippy on it and away you go. I just shout out to Felicity Race, who actually does have a finger injury. You might find that triggering. Rana, what's your comeback? Have you got a fifth quarter comeback or anything you would, any bombshells you'd like to drop about <laughs> the shows that. you've been in? Oh, Lord, I was the original Darren in um, Bewitched. Bewitched. Oh, so. my God, I knew I recognised you. <laughs> my comeback-themed fifth quarter is called The Comeback, so oh, okay. done. Um, it's an American comedy drama. It's a, it's a satire starring Lisa Kudrow of Friends, and it's basically she's a B-list actor who's trying to make her comeback in a LA sitcom. But the thing with this show is that it aired in... 2005 got cancelled and then 10 years later made its own comeback and had a second season. It's so funny. It's very meta, but it's very inside baseball around how TV's made and sitcoms are made. It's very funny and silly and just really worth everybody's time. And just the the second mention of inside baseball today. (laughs) Just as an FYI. Do you want to know my fifth quarter? Oh, Oh, sure. Sure. Sorry, hi, I'm Emma. I don't know if you've met. Uh, My fifth quarter this week is not something that I watched or read or listened to, but I made a bit of a comeback of my own this week, which is that as a child, I was a prolific artist. Venus to my uh, One, one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved a Crayola carousel. I loved oh, a new yeah. pack of Derwents. Derwents. I loved a sticky Derwents. tape and a bit of glue. And I got back into painting this weekend and I actually did it side by side with my mum. And I thought it's probably been 35 years since mum and I sat down and did some painting together. There was no potato stamps and I didn't have to wear a smock. But we sat down and we tried <laughs> to teach ourselves how to paint. Well, she's actually an amazing artist. She's a, she does watercolours, which are fantastic. I had been obsessing over a YouTube channel where you learn how to paint. Not by number. I'm going to put that out there. And so I finally got a chance this weekend, or last weekend, I get those two confused, but anyway, the one that we've already had. It's like tigers and lions. I don't know the difference. WA time. WA time, yeah. I um, sat down with my acrylics and I had a go. And I've got to say, it was so cathartic. I didn't have music on. I just sat next to my mum. We made small talk, big talk, little talk, no talk, had some cake and just did painting. It was one of the most pleasurable things I have done in a really long time. It felt like there was no rush. There was no clock. There was no end. There was just just space and time and she actually told me that her painting teacher is a Buddhist monk and I thought oh chicken or the egg I can't work out I mean he can probably answer that right I feel like I could become a Buddhist if I sat here painting for a bit longer so I just wanted to give a shout out to going back to your roots and doing something that gave you pleasure as a child you might want to play elastics you might want to spin around in a in a skirt that goes up you might oh, want to yeah. lie under the dining room table and you know have a cubby house I'm it felt so good I took up um coloring again in the lockdown period and it's just been such a blessing in my life just meditative that's oh. a really hard word to say it's really hard to maybe say. I'll get back on the stage <laughs> <laughs> I mean the arena spectacular do you see her sitting by a window on a little <laughs> typewriter <laughs> totally with a monocle and a cup of tea. Totally. Waiting you're for the grey cells to kick in. You're very from another time, Tess. I know. I don't belong here. That's what you're I'm You're from Miss Marple's tea rooms <laughs> yes. where there was just recently a whodunit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I think that now that we've 
worked all this stuff out about Tess's back catalogue on the stage. I just want to finally give a um, give. I a can't work out if you're putting your finger up or it's just still <laughs> dancing. I feel like dancing. I just want to give a big shout out to Port Adelaide who have sat atop the ladder for 12 weeks, which gives you a sense of what kind of stellar season they've been having. Uh, they're playing uh, Adelaide this weekend and, uh, yeah, it's just a question of whether they can be on top for 13 weeks. There should be a rule in, you know, the AFL handbook that you always read where you're like 14.2 point index you know one yes. blah blah there should be, if you've been on the top of the ladder for 13 weeks you should get to wear your heritage jumper which is black and white stripes <laughs> as long as it's not the same color as the coronavirus can i just say i can't leave without mentioning this that sir swamp thing tweeted the other day and noted that teams that sit on top of the ladder after the end of round one in leap years this century are in the year 2000 it was essendon 2004 it was port 2008 it was hawthorne 2012 it was sydney 2016 it was the Dogs and 2020 at Port, and in every year, the team that was on the top of the ladder at the end of round one won um, the flag. How did that not make it into Quarantum and German? What's <laughs> the Quarantum Zone? The Quarantum Zone. If the Quarantum Zone isn't for that, <laughs> I, don't even know. Know. I don't even know just what it's for. Mic drop. Do you reckon we're excited about footy coming back? Yeah. yeah. There's only one thing left to say Go, go footy! Go footy! Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out.